Hey everybody, it's Tanya Adlita, and we are back again with another episode of Recovering Church Girls. And I am so excited to introduce you to Anna Jane Joyner. And you may already know Anna Jane from her work in social activism, and there's so many fun, fun things that I want to talk to you about on all of that. You also might recognize her as the daughter of a pretty prominent uh, pastor here in America. So all of that to say, Anna Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. This is one of my favorite topics. I love it. And we are so excited to have you. And I think one of the things that, you know, when you're growing up in the church and the only frame of reference that you have is that environment in which you are in, a lot of times that becomes the frame of view that you have for everything. You know, the entire worldview comes down to that. And then at some point in time, it doesn't. And I'm wondering if you have any do you have any particular moment that was kind of that piece for you or was it a gradual thing? Like, tell us about your spiritual journey and what even your childhood was like in that environment. Yeah, so it was pretty intense. <laughs> my, my dad um, is kind of this uh, mega church pastor, writer, speaker. Um, so, and he's, he's kind of a big deal within his niche within evangelical Christianity, kind of more charismatic Pentecostal evangelical Christianity. Um, so it's definitely not like the whole huge King caboodle, but within his realm, he is very, uh, well respected and kind of a celebrity of sorts. So, um, we grew up, you know, very much in that bubble, um, going to, he started, he was started writing when I was little and one of his early books kind of took off and that's what positioned him to be sort of a thought leader in the space. And he started, um, Morningstar Ministries, the church and, and ministry that he still runs when I was around seven and, you know, throughout really for as long as I can remember, he has been, uh, kind of a Titan in that world, <laughs> but especially when the church started up, you know, it, we were literally surrounded by that growing up, you know, up until really I was, uh, I went to public high school when I was 14, but until then, you know, that was my whole life. We went to church three to four times a week. You know, my dad was kind of God for all intents and purposes in that space. Um, and it was, you know, it was very much like we were little VIPs. We were kind of hellions. Uh, we knew that we were special and, um, you know, but you know, it's funny, my parents didn't, even though the church community and environment was very much kind of the the water and ocean that we existed in, um, like I remember even not knowing much, like that there was much outside of that, you know, like even all, even other forms of Christianity were suspects, you know, Catholics mm. were not Christians, Baptists, you know, didn't get the whole truth. It was really us who had the whole truth. And um, you had that too, because that is totally the way that I experienced the rest of the world is we were the only ones that got it all right. Even if you were a Christian in a looser sense, you still, you weren't one of us, therefore you were wrong. Yep. Yep. Totally. Very much. And that wasn't necessarily something that was communicated to me explicitly by my parents. Um, but certainly that was the general feeling and ethic of the community. Um, and yeah, so, but it was interesting in the home, it wasn't as big of a thing for us. Like we, you know, I remember my parents reading us Bible stories when we were little, but um, we didn't talk about church and God a whole lot growing up in the house. Like, I think mm. that they just assumed that we got enough of that <laughs> um, through our multiple church services. And, you know, we'd pray before meals, but that was, that was about it. And so, um, so, and, and my parents definitely had this kind of um, approach that, you know, like God would show himself to us and, you know, they didn't have to force it on us, which I really respected um, and respect looking back, although I think they would now say that maybe they uh, overshot the runway and let us have a little <laughs> too much freedom in a lot of different ways. Oh, and, and um, yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, I think your cord might be bumping up against something. Um, oh, so okay. I don't, just as a, an FYI for you here. Um, but yeah, I'm loving this idea, by the way, of going to church the three and four times a week, because again, that's something I can totally identify with. Um, and I'm pretty sure that my parents now, in retrospect, would probably say the same thing of, 
Yeah, maybe we gave you a little too much free reign, which is kind of funny because looking back, comparing to a normal childhood, I had no free reign whatsoever. I just thought that I did. Huh. Uh, so it's just, it's interesting, you know, what we can learn from perspective, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but as far as like a moment where it kind of um, split for me, I think I was always a really curious kid, you know, like I'm the oldest of five and I've always been fairly strapped, like, you know, headstrong. None of us were that into the church. Like the five of us, we were, um, I think me and two of my siblings went through like a moment where we were kind of into youth group or whatever. But for the most part, we were more observers. I think that we saw just too much behind the curtain Mm -hmm. to be fully bought in. Um, so I, but I remember like one thing that really did stick with me is just this like intense fear that maybe I didn't believe in God and that if I didn't believe in God and I was wrong, then I was going to hell. And I had all of this anxiety around, um, that possibility and, you know, it was there something wrong with me. And I, I remember like crying myself to sleep often from like the ages of maybe nine through like. 15 Hmm. like struggling with that that kind of uh you know that you know challenge of being like what if I don't believe in this what if I'm wrong what if I'm going to hell um and I and it was yeah it was very traumatizing for sure that Mm -hmm. anxiety and I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it because right absolutely you know like I didn't feel like I could talk to my youth pastors or my parents or anyone you know I just felt like I would be alienated if people knew that I had these doubts And so I remember waking up when I was around 16. So I did go to public school when I was 14. So I went to, uh, I was raised in very kind of insulated Christian private schools. And then we moved up to the mountains of Western North Carolina when I was in middle school and was homeschooled for those two years. But academics were really, really important to me. They were also really, really important to my mother. (laughs) And she came from a family where, you know, you went to college unless Jesus himself came down and told you otherwise. (laughs) And like... Um, and it was, I kind of knew early on that a, I had a knack for it. I was good at it. And also that it was sort of my out. Like I really Mm. wanted to go to college. I really wanted to, uh, kind of get out of that space and see the world. But I, so, so high school was a big turning point because it was very much the first experience where I wasn't the little VIP kid. Like I wasn't, um, the, the world didn't, you know, kind of, uh, circle around me and my family. I was just one insecure, anxious, 14 year old amongst so many. And so, (laughs) and so that was really good for me. Very humbling, I think, but also very challenging. And then, you know, and so that was kind of my slow progression to, you know, doing a lot of study outside of the church, you know, connecting with friends who were raised Catholic or weren't, didn't identify as Christians. Like my, my two closest or three closest friends, one was raised Catholic, one was Episcopalian, the other, like, I don't even think they, they might've gone to church like once a year. So like my closest girlfriends at that point were not like in the church. And so at least not in the context that I was raised with. Anyways, all that said, I remember waking up around 16 and just being like, you know what? I don't know if I believe in God. I don't really think anyone knows for certain if there's a God, um, even when they really you know think they do. And I'm just tired of worrying about it. Um, and I, the thing that I do know is that I really like this life and that I really want to experience this life and cherish it and enjoy it. Um, so I'm just going to stop worrying about it. And I, I really did, you know, like I, that was the end of my existential angst around, you know, should I be an evangelical Christian? Is Jesus, you know, my savior? All of those questions just like went away. And um, I continued on a definitely a, a spiritual journey kind of, has ebbed and flowed throughout my life. And at this point, spirituality, spiritual discipline, even Christian, you know, elements of Christianity are really, really important to me. Um, but it was very liberating at that time to be so young and just be like, I'm done with this. I'm done with worrying about this. And I do think a lot of people that I've connected with, and for a long time, I was completely divorced my life and my energy from the church. Like in college, my, even my closest friends didn't know the environment that I grew up with or that my dad was like a big deal in it until I was, I think a senior and I shared it with a couple of people because at that point and I'd gotten over the, the shame or anxiety around it and had it thought it was more interesting. You know, it was an interesting story. Your dad's mm-hmm. a mega church pastor. And, <laughs> 
Um, yeah, but for the most part, I created an identity and a life totally outside of that upbringing for my later high school and, and almost my entire college years. That's so interesting. And I I'm, I'm have to admit, I'm a little bit jealous of <laughs> this idea of like, nope, I just woke up one morning when I was 16 and decided I was done with the worry. I'm like, dude, it's taken me years. And there are still times when, you know, the, the thought process will still sneak back in. And so, it, I'm, yeah, there's a part of me that is, I'm not going to lie, I'm totally jealous about this idea of like, okay, I'm just going to drop this and have that experience of being able to say, I'm I'm choosing to walk away from the guilt and the shame and the angst that's with that. And even in that, what I hear you saying is it's not even so much like turning your back on necessarily what you were believing or what you were told to believe, but more about the turning your back back on the angst and the doubt and the fear that comes along with that. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, certainly I never had a huge issue with Jesus. I always thought that Jesus seemed like a really cool teacher um, in person and continue to feel that way. But I just, I, it was the whole like dogmatic, like you have to ask Jesus into your heart and be born again. And you have to, you know, believe the certain things about politics or about, you know, religion and, and, and the, the specific version of Christianity that I was um, done with. Yeah. And it's like, I really don't know why it happened so easily for me. I shouldn't say easily because it was, it was, you know, the preceding, you know, five, six, seven years of my life had been really traumatizing, wrestling with all those questions. Mm -hmm. But I just woke up one day and, and decided I was done worrying about it. And yeah, I don't know why that happened to me. And, and to some degree, my siblings as well, like none of us have really wrestled with that. Not to say we haven't had other existential anxieties or, you know, questioning the purpose of life or our calling within it. Or, you know, for me working on climate change, that's very much been a, an existential anxiety in my life. Um, but as far as like, uh, you know, evangelical version of Christianity, none of us have wrestled with that as, an, as adults or gone back to it. And I don't, I don't really know probably take a pretty in-depth psychological study to figure out why that <laughs> happened to me and not a lot of other people who I know were raised in the church. But um, it was a gift for sure mm. to be able to just kind of leave it behind. Yeah, I bet. And I love this idea of, you know, kind of this this image I have of you as a kid. Um, and it could be my own memories that I'm replacing it with. But, you know, like running through the church halls type of a thing. And I can, I can see that because I did that. Um, yeah. Not that my parents were in ministry, but I still, I think I always had that kind of poster child type of a thing. Like I was always the good kid, um, you know, and doing missionary uh, trips as a, a teenager. And, you know, all of those types of things that earn you the accolades and the respect and the position uh, that really comes with that external behavior. So one of the things I would love to ask you about is your perspective and your experience when it comes to that self-worth, like the very foundation of how you see yourself, specifically against the backdrop of the, the framework of the evangelical Christianity. Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, I think it's not an easy question, right? <laughs> There's so many directions you could go in, but I'll just shoot from the hip. Um, I think that certainly growing up in an evangelical Christian environment instilled in me, for better and for worse, this idea that we are meant to live for something larger than ourselves um, and that we... Um, you know, and I think that certainly contributed almost like a sacrificial type of mm. um, perspective. And when I walked away from kind of evangelical Christianity as a teenager, for a few years, I was pretty hedonistic and just, you know, I was never like a terrible person, but I was mostly concerned <laughs> with my own fun and well-being and achievements. And um, but I did kind of quickly gravitate in later college and then throughout my career to activism um, and to social good causes. And I think I've had many conversations with therapists being like, did I just replace evangelical Christianity with climate activism? Like, do I have this like sacrificial, like, like I have to, you know, work on these really hard problems and make really little money and like all those things <laughs> um, and, you know, work myself to death. I mean, there's been points in my career where I was working you know, really, really long hours at the expense of my relationships and my health. And like, and I, and I think that there's a connection there, um, mm -hmm. to that, 
to that kind of those early narratives, um, which I don't necessarily think about is a bad thing altogether. You know, I do think it's really great to work for causes that are bigger than you to help sure. other people like all those. Um, but I think it can also turn unhealthy and does in the church and also does in active activism circles. And I've all, you know always kind of had a tumultuous relationship navigating all that. Um, I think as a woman, it was very hard. You know, I had kind of this interesting um, experience where I was the oldest of, you know, this very important man. Um, but, you know, for the most part, intellectually speaking, my parents did not treat me as lesser than than any of my either my brothers or you know male you know males my age I think intellectually I kind of proved myself really early on and so I was always um you know given a fair amount of respect in that space but you know the whole body image thing certainly I struggled mm -hmm. with you know just being objectified from a really young age you know don't wear spaghetti straps or you know like your body is a temptation for men to mm -hmm. sin or somehow associating your sexuality and your and your body and your um, kind of sensuality with sin and it was very, so I and I have had kind of a rough relationship I think with sexuality because of that you know for a long time I kind of did the opposite and just you know offered my body to to anyone who was reasonably attractive and interested and then I realized you know that's not healthy either <laughs> it's just kind of um, you know it's almost like I had my body had been so objectified mm -hmm that I just, I didn't care for it in other way, you know, like mm -hmm. it was, I didn't have a lot of respect. And maybe that also has to do with an emphasis on like the hyper spiritual and your physical, you know, like um, this kind of world and your body here is not what's important. It's your intellect and your spiritual mm -hmm. life, all those things. I think definitely I wrestled with um, kind of the classic, you know, all, all the things you think of with evangelical girls wrestling with body image issues, but but oh my God, there's so many layers, even just yeah. that last like two minutes, so many layers, yeah. so many yeah. layers, because I can identify on, you know, on much of that. And I think that for me, I found that I was separated from my body and, you know, kind of use like the medical metaphysical type definitions here and I didn't know it. Um, but now when I look back, I can actually trace the time where I feel like to a certain extent, and this might sound like totally conspiracy theory. So stick with me for a second here. <laughs> but I feel like there was almost this systemic teaching that the the idea was to separate me from myself, from my intuition, from being able to connect directly with God, to be able to use my body as a tool to know what I needed to do or what I needed to learn in that moment. And so because of that, because the only way that I could you know, air quote, know the will of God was to not trust my body, not trust my own intuition. There became this separation that lasted for decades, and I had no clue. And I would say probably not even till the last maybe five years that I've really started to put that all together. And interestingly enough, I'd say maybe 10 years ago, I had the huge like wake up moment when it came to my self-care. And that has been the thing that has actually launched this whole self-discovery, self-awareness, being able to be united with myself again and feeling a direct connection with God again, which I'd pretty much like shut off for a couple of years there. So, you know, all of these different pieces that are coming together now that there's this piece of me that's like, wait a second, this is exactly what I always wanted and always felt within myself. And yet at the same time was told that I couldn't rely on. And, you know, here I am now going, yeah, I'm thinking perhaps that was a method of control and manipulation in order to keep me in line with the masses. Yeah. Oh, so much there. I do think it's a level, I mean, looking back and having now connected with a lot of other women who are raised in the church, um, I do think there's a, it's a, at least in the church environment I grew up in, there is a level of manipulation and control for sure around women's sexuality and bodies. I don't think it's super overt. Like I don't, at least in the environment I grew up, I don't think anyone was like sitting behind a closed door being like, how do we make women feel divorced from their bodies or feel like their bodies somehow uh, set them at a disadvantage? Um, but I think it was just kind of this systematic narrative that, I mean, I've even had youth pastors who are women write me since, you know, within the past five, 10 years and apologize for, because mm -hmm. I recognized how much, 
damage, you know, all those meetings about like how not to dress provocatively, how, you know, how much guilt and shame that that put on women's bodies and in my body and, and that that later <laughs> ironically led to me doing the opposite of what they were trying to, to get us <laughs> to do. But also just having had a really, um, you know, it's it, a very hard relationship with my physical self. Like it's a, uh, and it's, and it's odd because I'm, I've always been, you know, I've always been kind of a thin person. I've always been like reasonably attractive within the, the construct of, you know, Western thought. And that's, you know, maybe like slightly vain. <laughs> and so that kind of stuff, you know, has always been important to me, but that was what was prized in that environment was, mm -hmm. you know, is, but then it was like, you know, I, on the flip side, I was terrible to my body, you know, like I, I did, you know, I didn't treat it well at all. It, even as an activist, like I would, you know, I would party too hard or smoke cigarettes or, you know, just not treat my body as a, um, as a cherished thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it is this very strange, it's this very strange. And even now I, I think I'm still like on that journey of how do I take better care of this part of myself and how do I really stay connected to it because I think it is bit it has been a very complicated relationship mm -hmm. yeah I mean, uh, and especially totally as I'm that. like getting older you know I'm 33 now so it's like okay well who am I if I'm not you know the kind of quintessentially like cute attractive little 20 something you know I've been married for five years so like there, there's all these like questions around like how do I um interact in the world if it's not based on my physical attractiveness but it's also like having a healthier relationship with my body. Like it doesn't have to be perfect in like a physical outward way, as long as it feels good and it's nourishing and it's powerful in a healthy way. And then, you know, and how it, how it like mentally provides for me and, uh, and even spiritually, you know, so anyways, lots, lots of dynamics there. That I'm still it's working so through. Well, and I have a sense, um, I don't know about you if this resonates. I think I, I got to this point maybe, I don't know, call it six months, a year ago. And again, this this piece, like every little every little peeling back of the layers of onion here. Uh, but I really got to the point of recognizing I needed to make amends to my body. Mm. Like It wasn't just that I needed to get better at practicing self-care. And again, I'm using like air quotes everywhere here. But it was also that I needed to go a step further and to genuinely apologize. Mm. Um, and, and in that then kind of pivoting with the choices I was making. So whether that was, you know, getting more sleep, that has been a yeah. huge pivot for me to not burn the candle at both ends and to not be, you know, constantly running yourself into the ground. And I totally recognize what you're saying as far as in the lifestyle of an activist. It's very similar. We always had this thing about we have to win the world by the weekend. Like there was always yep. this pressure that, yeah. you know, the world is going to end and therefore we must take all of this responsibility on ourselves and to force things to happen. So when you get into the whole like masculine and feminine energy thing, I think I've been living in masculine energy pretty much my entire life and had yep. no idea. Yeah. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like even the past, like I, so I was living up in New York city, working there for a couple of years and about two years ago, we moved down to the Gulf coast of Alabama, which is where my mom's family is from. And it really was, it was almost like a physical necessity for me. Like I remember walking home from the subway one day and I, I loved my job in New York in the sense that I, I love working on climate campaigns. I love the team we were working with was the most amazing team I've ever worked with. I did some of the, the work I'm most proud of at that job, but physically I was like, and mentally I was just falling apart. Like I was having panic attacks, like a couple times a week. I was working crazy long hours. I was in a constant state of anxiety and stress. I wasn't able to connect with my partner or anything really outside. You know, I was like very much like had gone inward other than showing up for my job. And I just had this sense walking home from work. Like I was like, I cannot sustain this. Like I, can, I will not live if I continue down this path. Like physically speaking, this is not a sustainable thing for me. And so um, we left and we came back down here and it, and it was not like an immediate fix, you know, like it's beautiful. It's on the water. I work, live in this little bungalow. I'm freelancing now. So I set my own schedule and I don't, you know, like if I want to work 80 hours a week, I do. <laughs> if I don't, I don't. And sometimes I, I work 20 hours a week, you know, some you know weeks I don't work at all. And I, I just 
do a lot of cooking. And um, I've been really privileged and blessed to be in a position where that was an option for us. But I feel like it's, um, it's even just now after two years, gone to a place where I'm like physically feeling better, you know, like I'm running more, I've gotten some of my anxiety and like mental health issues were under control. I've totally stopped drinking for the past couple of months because I felt I was over relying on, I really have my whole adult life over relied on drinking as a stress reliever. And um, yeah, and just like really, even with the running, it's funny, like I always associated myself as you know, I was kind of naturally thin. I had a high metabolism. I also eat really healthy. That's like the one thing that I have done well for my body throughout my life. But I, I never felt like I was very strong or my body was very capable. And so, um, and luckily just didn't have to exercise much in my twenties because I, I had that metabolism. But lately I've just, I don't know, been like slowly like do it, taking, doing a couple of races here and there, running regularly, which I've never done in my life. And it's just such a good feeling, even though I'm not as, badass as I used to be maybe in the work and activism front I just feel like a more whole person and it's mm. and it's sad that you have to that I feel like there's a little bit of a trade-off there and ideally I want to get to a place where there's not a trade-off where I'm <laughs> where I'm equally as um but you know I think it's going back to your original question my dad was very much a workaholic he still is you know his whole life was a ministry he worked 80 hour weeks he traveled a lot and I think I, even though I was working in the activism space, I kind of transferred some of that, um, some of that, you know, energy or, or sense of self-worth and value to my work. And I was a workaholic and a lot of my value was around, you know, was I being a good activist? Were people paying attention? Was I winning campaigns? Was, you know, like I, and I think that it was really hard for me to kind of move away from some of that, but it was absolutely necessary for me to find some sort of equilibrium because I, you know, even when my work was going well, everything else was falling apart, you know, right. like, and, and that was not what I wanted out of my life. Yeah. Again, so much of that that I can identify with. And I think that the patterning is something that's so subtle. It's so subtle. And yet it really does have a direct impact with not only, you know, what we think is, is what we're supposed to do, but inevitably it becomes something that we end up following. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I can, yes. And I really <laughs> liked the way that you framed it as like masculine energy like I think that I hadn't thought about it I thought about it like oh I'm very much like my father and I'm following and even though not in the evangelical or political <laughs> sense of the word and how I run my life and my relationships and my job is very reflective of how he has run his and I think you know I also had that whole like I'm called like I've used that terminology before like I'm called to act on like climate change didn't pick me or, you know, I didn't choose climate activism, it chose me. And now I started really moving away from that and being like, no, you know, like, I'm not forced to do anything. Mm. Like, if I am going to fight for this cause, it's going to be because it's what I believe is the best thing for myself and the world, you know, like, right. I don't, you know, it's not going to be like, I'm sacrificing my dreams and my personal well-being and my physical well-being and my relationships for this greater cause. You know, it's it's got to be, what are we fighting for <laughs> if right. we're not even able to enjoy uh, to enjoy our, our lives to some degree and our, yeah. So anyways, it was, it's definitely been a, a crazy mind fuck. <laughs> a good yeah, one. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I love that that idea too because I think that there there is so much value in a lot of the religious circles for martyrdom on a non-biblical sense. Like, so mm -hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, martyrs in which people are literally being killed for their faith, but I'm talking about all of the small thousands of ways that we become martyrs for what we believe, whether that is our faith and taking a stance for that, or if it's our faith in a cause and the environment and the, the choice. So I love what you just said in this idea of like, no, if this is what I'm going to invest my time and energy in, it's because I'm choosing to do so, not because I'm compelled or forced you know, by some other thing that's like the undertow, because I think that in and of itself, that gives you the space to actually not only hold that power, but there's, I feel like there's almost like a, um, a writing, how do I want to say this? A writing up is the thing I keep thinking of. So it's mm -hmm. like the balancing that, you know, you're able to bring your own energy and you're meeting it as opposed to being overwhelmed by it. 
So there's something like really fun about that shift in in perspective. Yeah, I love that. I'm like, oh, that's that's a really fun. <laughs> and that gives me pause to really think about, you know, the things that the things that I choose to do and why I choose to do them. Because I think that again, going to this idea of self-care leading to self-discovery, it wasn't necessarily something that was ever championed to understand why we do things. The answer for me was always, well, because that's what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like that's because what we talked about last Sunday at church or, you know, whatever the case might be. And there wasn't when you wanted to go deep and you want to understand the why a lot of times those conversations were shut down because maybe the person you're having the conversation with didn't have the answer. And rather than say, I don't know, or why don't you check in with God about that yourself and see how you feel, see what that answer might be. Um, it's just a, because I said so, you know, kind of. Yeah. Line. I think it's so interesting that you just went that direction. Cause I was just having a similar thought pattern. Like I think even within the context of climate activism, like I have this podcast now called no place like home, which everybody should check out. But it really me and my friend Marianne hit started it because we wanted to provide a more like female centric place <laughs> to talk about climate change. And because we wanted to have like a more emotive and um, kind of nuanced, I think, and, and more interesting conversation that wasn't black and white. And I think that that is very much growing up like it was black and white. My dad is black and white, you know, mm-hmm. like he sees the world through black and white terms. I think the climate movement is a over overwhelmingly a masculine movement in a lot of how, at least historically and even today as well. And, and I really value and always have this, this gray area or, or this questioning space, this mystery. Like I even remember waking up when I was 15 or 16 and just being how liberating it was to say, I don't know. Like I, I think it's a mystery and I actually kind of like that it's a mystery. And I think that that is, um, something I, I feel that I've had to come to terms with that with my climate activism. Like, I don't know the answers to how to solve this, you know, like if I, I don't have any secret, you know, know how, like I, um, I, I have inklings that I think are based on, you know, experience that is valuable. And I have, um, thought about this a great deal, but I certainly don't have all the answers and I don't, I, I kind of feel, um, I push back a little bit. That's, you know, why as I've gotten older, I've become much more drawn to art mm-hmm. um, and to creativity because I think art really allows for that space, you know, where there doesn't have to be a yes, this is how it is or no, this is how it is. And it's like, no, like, let's explore these complicated emotions and these complicated experiences and realities of life that, you know, where there's you know, where there's good and bad and like there's, there's winning and losing and there's, there's these things that are in between and there's, and that's okay. That's part of the human experience and part of this experience on earth. And, um, yeah, I really, I, I really love, I've, it's funny. Like I, I got out of that in my spiritual life pretty early on and I've never felt the need to replace it with anything concrete. Like I joke around that I'm like, a Christian pantheist, Episcopalian agnostic Buddhist, <laughs> you know, because I, I do value the historical legacy of Christianity and Jesus's teachings. I love the Episcopalian church because they are really open. Um, and I've had incredible priests and mentors, but I also love pantheism and I love Buddhism is actually probably the spiritual practice that is most nourishing to me in a day to day way is, you know, mindfulness and, and learning to divorce yourself from your ego and all those things are like what make my days a little bit more manageable and, and, and good and make me probably a better human. But I think that there's, but also agnostic cause I don't know, like I don't have any, I don't have any answers. Um, all I can do is, is continue getting up and trying. And I think that, I think for a long time I, I kind of went there spiritually, but in climate activism, it was like, no, you have to do, this is the right answer. We have to, you know, like X, Y, and Z, whatever campaign I'm working on. And now it's, I've gotten to a space where it's like, no, like this is really hard. <laughs> and like, right. nobody really knows what we're doing and including all the activists and like, sure, like lots of people have good ideas that we should be doing more of. But obviously if we knew how to handle this, we would have handled it already. And so I think that we need more people at the table and we need more nuance and um, yeah. So I'm learning how to be comfortable in the gray area with my, with my passion and my work in addition to my spirituality. 
I love that. I love the I love the gray area. I think I grew up wanting to believe only in the black and white because that's what was modeled for me, but also that's where I felt safe. Hmm. And the more that I got to see the gray, then then there was something that was kind of like, on one hand, ooh, that intrigues me, I want to know more. And on the other hand, wait, the whole foundation underneath my feet is moving, what does that actually mean? But to be able to then put it, whether it's spirituality or whether it's your life's work or it's your relationships, your community, but just to see the shades of gray and see all the nuance that there is to find. I love your description of your spirituality because there's so much there that allows for movement you know it's like the the idea i think uh rather than being forced into one thought process or the other again that this is all right and that is all wrong but there's so much more grace in that which is Mm -hmm. kind of ironic considering grace is one of the things that we're taught to honor Um, and i do still very much hold it as a value but even then i still find my dark underbelly is judgment um, because it, it served me really well in my career because I was in event planning and floral design and everything had to be just perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you translate that into, oh, I don't know, say relationships or standards in any other way, judgment was not so great. You know, like I could spot a crooked candle from across the room, <laughs> but that's not going to help anybody, you know, live a better life or connect more with me. So it's funny how these certain certain tendencies, certain ways of thinking and ways of being really translate into so many different aspects of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's wild to think about. It's funny. It's like really, a, I shouldn't say newish, but like for a long, like it was, I joke that environmentalism brought me back into like, brought me back to God or brought me back to the Christian space, which is true. Like for the most part, for my like late teens into mid twenties, I did not have much to do with Christianity Um, But it was working because I had this insight into having grown up in the church and also had a lot of great relationships and networks within the church. Within my professional life, I kind of got pulled back into it, where I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, these people, we really need evangelicals to hear about the environment (laughs) or climate change. And so I ended up working with a lot of people within the church, both, you know, totally, luckily, not, you know, both with evangelicals, but also with all different kinds of faith communities, Christian and unchristian. And that's really what kind of pulled me back into um a space of 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 looking at my christian upbringing um and not just kind of oh that happened a long time ago i'm gonna push that (laughs) push that aside but it's so interesting you know now i'm a member of all these like facebook groups i i started a facebook group for preacher's kids whose parents are trump lovers and and really interacting in a more um concerted way with people who shared this experience and have since gone on to to not be immersed in the in the evangelical mm. world and it, it is so fascinating to think how much you know even though I felt like I had kind of walked away from it how much of it still lingers and influences my my ways of being and thinking about the world for better and for worse and right and I love the idea that you are you're very quick to say and, and oftentimes the first thing I've heard you say is the good in that for better or for worse because I think sometimes in my unpeeling I got to the point of thinking like well was there any good and of course there was but I had to get through I think a lot of the negative and a lot of the the questioning and the doubt and all of the pieces that that kind of unraveled in me before I could then see the good because there oh, yeah. really is good and kindness and and love and mercy and all of those wonderful things. Uh, but I definitely needed to get to the place where I could receive those again and accept it as opposed to just like stonewalling the entire experience. Oh, totally. I had that like, um, like, for, cause I really did. Like I, I went back and taught um, at my dad's high school. So my, the church that he has, has a K through 12 school. And I went there for a year or two. It started mostly after I was done with grade school, but my little brothers and sisters all went there. And I was kind of like, I was leaving a, a job in DC and wasn't really sure what I was going to do next and what I wanted to do next. And I was like, well, I'll go home. I hadn't, um, I hadn't like seen my little brothers and sisters or lived near them since they were really small and they were all like in high school at this point. So I was like, it'll be fun to like go back and spend time with them and get to know them. Um, and I kind of felt this like desire to go back and give back to the community that had raised me mm. like in some ways. So anyways, all that to say, I went back and taught an environmental studies class at 
Community School for Creative Leadership, <laughs> my dad's school. Um, and he's so sweet. Like, he is complicated as our relationship is. You know, he very much just likes us around. <laughs> so he's like, sure, you want to teach an elective environmental studies course? By all means. Um, if you'll come and hang out at home for a few months. And um, anyway, so it was great. I absolutely loved being in the classroom. It was so cool to be able to get to share all this knowledge that I had, like, we did a whole section on philosophy and spirituality and then looked at environmental impacts and issues and solutions, and it was such a cool experience. But while that was happening, there was a revival that broke out <laughs> during, you know, at the church. Okay, so wait, here's, here's the question. Was the revival <laughs> scheduled? Because no. it was always a thing in the charismatic no. church that we would schedule revivals, and that was something that I never quite got. Okay, so this was like a spontaneous revival. Spontaneous okay. revival. That, <laughs> All right. And I am like so not down with things like that. <laughs> Even now, they make me uncomfortable, but particularly when I was like 24, 23. Um, and so I, anyways, I remember for the longest time, I was just so irritated because, you know, they disrupt classes to send all these kids to their to the revival and then they'd come in drunk in the spirit and I'd have to be like, snap out of it. We're going to learn now. Um, and anyways, one day I remember I went and I was like, okay, I'm being really judgmental. I'm basing a lot of this on like my upbringing. Like I've been out of the church for like five, longer than five years now. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there is something good here. And so I went back and I remember me and my youngest brother who would have been like 13 or 14 at the time, who was one of my students, we like sat at the back and just like watched everybody. <laughs> and we were both like, nah, nope. <laughs> and I really, I tried to be like really open to it. Like God, like, cause I definitely like believe in God and believed in God then. Right. Not in the Christian sense, but like if there's something here that I'm missing or I'm writing off, then like open me up to it. I don't want to just be judgmental. And, and I still like, and it's funny, like, was like, just no, this energy feels bad to me. This does not feel healthy. Like, and the, I could go into an entire segue of why that was, but like a lot of the kids who were involved in that, like later really struggled with depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and substance abuse and suicidal thoughts. And, and there was a lot of, I think really bad things that happened as a result of that revival. And I think my, my intuition was correct. It wasn't good. Um, mm. Not to say I'm sure there were, there were also good things that came out of it, but for a lot of those kids, it was, they refer to it as the time we do not speak of. <laughs> and wow. That in yeah. itself is pretty telling. Yeah, totally. And so I think, um, but yeah, so it's, but okay. So the, the other direction I want to take that. So that was, so for a long time, even though I've been more open to do spirituality and connecting with Christians and working with Christians and certainly like a lot of the biblical narratives and like Jesus narratives in particular have been very big parts of my like journey and moral compass. Um, but anyways, that, um, I, a couple of months ago, for the past couple of years, I've been working with this amazing organization called Micah Challenge that that folk you know really works with millennial evangelicals on justice related issues. So climate change is a big part of that, and we've done documentaries together. We've done events like they they're just incredible group of people that I have a great deal of respect for and love working with. And a couple, I guess it was two August ago, so two years ago. Maybe it was last year. Sometime within the past two years, <laughs> I went out to an event that they held for um, it was for evangelical millennials to talk about racism, refugees, and climate change. And they really did an incredible job of making sure it was fifty percent women, fifty percent people of color, and mostly under the age. I think there was like one guy there who was like over the age of forty, but almost everybody there was you know in the millennial age bracket. And there were a couple of moments where I was like pretty uncomfortable, you know, where people would like break out in prayer or song because there's a lot of artists and musicians there. And then, I don't know, it ended up being one of the most powerful experiences of my life. Like definitely a little bit outside of my spiritual comfort zone in that like some of the tone was very charismatic evangelical. Um, but like just the, I mean, it was just so incredible seeing, I mean, and a lot of them were kind of like, big deals, you know, it was like higher level people in that space, but they were just seeing people engaged in conversation, like raw, real conversations around racism and refugees and climate change. And I mean, that was right when all the Charlottesville stuff would come mm -hmm. out too. So it was really intense, but I just remember having this, there was one 
evening, the last the last evening, where people are praying and people are praying for me, which is not something I'm always very comfortable with. But I just I like opened myself up to it, and really, it was so healing and so beautiful. And not that I like came home and was like, let me look up the nearest evangelical <laughs> church, you know. But right. but I was able to open myself up to it in a way that was really beautiful and not scary and. Um, so yeah, so I, I do think there is some beauty there for sure. I've seen it. And I think uh, particularly when you connect that with grace and justice and, and Jesus's actual teachings, there can be a lot of beauty there, but Absolutely. it's a hard, a hard one for sure. <laughs> it is. And it's so interesting because it, again, it's so nuanced. Like there are so many things that we could hold on to and we could really anchor into that is the good in all of this. And then on the same token, you know, just kind of flip that around. And there are those that would say, well, you know, that's outside of the scope of what the Bible meant or, you know, whatever the case might be. For me, it was uh, pretty much anything that was considered new age. That was like the buzzword when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14. Oh, well, yeah, I remember age. that one. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. like, so we're going to label all of that and we're going to throw it into a big box and don't touch it. And at the same time, you know, what really resonated for me when you're talking about accepting the prayers of all of these other people in that moment, I just hear like such a beauty in that and your willingness to receive just as much as their willingness to to pour out and pour out. Wow, I haven't said that expression <laughs> in this context. How to know you were raised in the charismatic church. <laughs> things like that enter or, or exit your mouth and you had no idea it was coming. Um, yeah, that is hysterical. <laughs> but, you know, just again, that it's like you, you were able to meet in that moment on that plane and none of the rest of it mattered. And I love that. Yeah. And I think that we I think that's what we need more of. And really, that's the big one of the big ideas behind these conversations is to find the places where we do you know, see eye to eye and we can build on the commonalities and we can build on a basic love for God or spirit or source and humanity, you know, like just the, the words, maybe they don't matter as much as we always thought they did. And it's really about the, the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts behind and the actions, I think too. Yeah. Oh, huge, you know, huge. And that, no, I couldn't agree with that more. I think so much, like I remember for some reason too, I dated, many people, but the two Christians, <laughs> two Christians that I dated, both of whom were youth pastors, um, were the worst people I dated. Like, mm, like one cheated on me the other time. The other one was incredibly manipulative and controlling. And I remember being like to my mom, like, do you, would you rather me date someone who treated me well, you know, mm. and loved me and cared for me and like was a good match or someone who's a Christian, who's a jerk, like, you right. know, like, and, and it was a really hard one for her. I think ultimately she prefers me to be with somebody who's good for me <laughs> and good to me. Right. Exactly. And it's so funny because when you put on that perspective of like the mother's heart, all of a sudden the things that we hold on to as being the way to make decisions maybe don't matter so much anymore. And it really is about that connection of being well cared for and having that, you know, kind of that soul connection as opposed to the rules and the labels and, and all the rest of it. But it's funny that sometimes we have to get to that point before we can see the forest for the trees. Yeah. I had that moment when uh, I told my parents that I was divorcing my kid's dad because my dad was the middle kid of eight and his parents divorced when he was 12 and they were a Catholic family. And so it was absolutely unheard of in the 50s that, you know, you would have any sort of discord that you would talk about, much less an actual divorce. Mm. So I remember his very first, the first words out of his mouth were, what about the kids? Mm. Because, of course, he's coming from his own place of pain. And Again, one of those moments where, you know, if this isn't God in me speaking, I don't know what is. But before I could even think of an answer, my mouth opened and I was like, yeah, dad, exactly. What about the kids? Mm. What am I teaching them is okay by staying in this environment, that this is what they're supposed to aspire to? Yeah, that's uh, so good. You know, so it was just one of those things like I can't take credit for saying that. I just it's what was in me and what yeah. came out. But it was enough that allowed him to hold some space for me that I don't think he could have gotten to, you know, because, again, he wants he wants us to be whole and happy and, you know, all the things that a dad's going to want for their kids. But that just wasn't what it needed to be for us in that particular time. So mm. it's just it's so fascinating to me, you know, again, how things tend to go full circle. And I'm hoping that there is a, a piece that 
he's been able to heal and grow actually by way of me going through all of my shit that it's reflected back to him you know yeah there have been some really rough times and at the same time there have been some really great times and he's been a part of that and mm. the relationship that he has with my kids and you know all of it it's just kind of like it all goes together um, which actually brings me to the the last question I have for you. Can you tell us a little bit about what your relationship is like with your family uh, in terms of your family of origin? And, you know, do you guys have this kind of like agree to disagree? Do you not talk about these things? How do you how do things work around the holiday <laughs> table? Uh, you know, whether that's Thanksgiving or Christmas or, you know, whatever. Like, how how does this work? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Can I check on my thing really quick of course. <laughs> okay i'll be right back <laughs> that's totally cool and okay. i will i will uh, keep things going here as you're doing that and this is too funny um we had t- talked about before we got started that uh anna jane had something in the oven she's like i may have to take a minute to go and check on this um so clearly that is exactly what needs to happen right now um and we even talked about the idea of so much of what we talk about in these moments, it really is the real conversation. It's the the connection. It's following each piece. And really, there isn't, there's no script. There's no script to our lives. So why should we have anything, you know, here in the podcast, too, especially as we're talking about, like, the real heart stuff. So it all happens. It's all real life. Um, and now that you're back, the question being, is everything okay in the oven? Yes. I'm Good making... Deal burnt eggplant tahini and or not tahini yeah <laughs> burnt eggplant amazing. like dip basically so I'm burning <laughs> the eggplants and they're not quite burnt enough yet well there you go well, yeah. and the funny thing was is I almost asked you is everything burnt and the answer <laughs> like you actually want it to be burnt I want it to be burnt yeah <laughs> exactly oh that's um, great yeah so dinner speaking of the dinner table um my relationship with my family is extraordinarily close. Uh, we are, so my parents can, uh, my dad's still, you know, head of the church and writer and does all those things. Um, my mom was mostly a homemaker, also a singer songwriter. She just left this morning. She's been down here for the past couple months. Um, so yeah, we are, I'm very close to my parents. My dad is obviously like as far right wing, right wing conservative, politically as you could probably get I am at I don't know I don't know how much far right writer there is so politically speaking we uh have had a really tough couple of years but um and and did before that but it's definitely escalated since the Trump election sure um and then my mom's kind of somewhere in the middle like you know tends to be more conservative her father was also very conservative but in, in a, a more tempered way um but both of them on kind of like a day-to-day level don't necessarily exhibit that like super conservative um, way of interacting with the world. So anyways, we, me and my father have had a really rough couple of years for sure, but I think we have come to like kind of, um, you know, our relationship has always had ups and downs. I was totally a daddy's girl. You know, I really prided myself on the fact that I was a lot like my dad and am still a lot like my dad. Um, and then of course I was abhorred by him for a, for a long period of time. And now I've kind of, I'm still abhorred by a lot of the things he says and does, but I'm also on a, on an emotional, uh, interpersonal level. I love my dad, you know, mm-hmm. he's, um, he was just down here for the summer too. I was dog sitting for him while he was, we share a love for our, our dogs. And so we kind of trade them back and forth and, <laughs> um, yeah, but so it has been so and we've both gotten better I think about not quite pushing each other's buttons like I think I've gotten better at listening and like really trying to understand where he's coming from and not just being combative or just you know arguing for argument's sake for a long time it was just like epic shouting matches and we still have those from time to time but we also have um you know more of a I think we have more, maybe more of a gentleness and respect with each other. I also think my dad's almost 70. He turns 70 next year. He, you know, has had some health problems recently. I think he kind of sees that his, uh, you know, all of us are wrestling with mortality, but mm. I think that he has, uh, you know, seen that more so in the past couple of years, slowed down a little bit. And I think he's just kind of, um, like, do I want to spend the the last, you know, decade of my life arguing with my kids about politics, you know? And, <laughs> and I had this moment very, um, 
like very intense moment when I, so we did this documentary a couple years ago called Years of Living Dangerously, where we spent, it was a Showtime documentary. So it was like, a you know, we they filmed for a year, they followed us all around. Um, and the whole idea was I was trying to convince my dad to care about climate change. So we would go and meet with climate scientists and pastors who do care about climate change and people being impacted by climate change. It was a really, really cool experience. It's an awesome project. Um, but at the end of it, he, but anyways, I won't tell you what happened, but one thing that happened while we were doing the showing, you can go look it up if you want to watch it. Um, but is that this guy came up to me afterwards and he actually worked for, I think he worked for the Sierra Club. So he worked for one of the big green groups and he was like, you know, my dad was an oil executive and wow. my last conversation with him was a political argument. Hmm. And he was like, I've always regretted that. And I was like, I just knew at that moment, I was like, my last conversation with my dad will not be a political <laughs> argument. Yeah. And so even when we do argue, I'm always really good about making sure that's not the note that we end on, on calling back and, you know, like, you know, talking about something else that we do agree on. So it is a complicated relationship for sure, but it's also a really lovely, um, a lovely one that, that has gotten, I think at the moment we're in a, in a better place than we have been in the past couple of years. I was also like a total hot mess the past couple of years, <laughs> like in the Trump election completely threw me. I actually went into a pretty big depression and like was just not a good person. Like I remember I, not a bad person, but I wasn't like, I wasn't myself, you know, like mm. I, I remember my sister telling her boyfriend at the time, like, Anna Jane isn't normally like this. She normally likes life. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, wow. that's, that's true. Like I, I don't <laughs> like life very much right now. So that was complicated for sure. And, um, but yeah, my siblings are, we're very close. Luckily they are all, uh, liberal heathens themselves. <laughs> um, they are, definitely environmentally conscious and, and, and thoughtful. I'm the only activist, quote unquote, although they all have moments of, of activism, but very involved in the arts community. Um, you know, just really creative, amazing people um, who are my closest friends. Like, I just, I don't think that you, I don't think there's any way, at least for us, like growing up in that environment, like we just, we, we had each other. We're the only people who knew what that felt like, you know, and, and really did, um, like we have very similar senses of humor. Like we just, there's something, I feel like I'm breathing again when I'm around my mm -hmm. siblings. And I think it's just because they know me so well, they, you know, and, and I know them so well and they are, yeah, definitely other than my partner, Forrest, the, the people who are closest to me and that I love the most. And we have an amazing time with my parents. Like we, um, we do holiday, you know, they were just all down here for the summer. They come down to Alabama. My where my mom is from and where we live now and go on the boat and we go, you know, to this family reunion thing and we play with the dogs and we drink too many cocktails, <laughs> which I didn't this year cause I'm taking time off. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's a really amazing time. My family is definitely for all of the craziness that being born into the Joyner family, um, afforded me I am so so grateful that this mm -hmm. is my life and that these are the people in my life um it has been a magical if if crazy ride but I I wouldn't want it any other way I don't really know any other way <laughs> right and I love that I I totally the idea of I can breathe when I'm with them I we have an expression in our little circle that we call our chosen family. And mm -hmm. that is exactly the way that I feel. See, I'm an only child, so I am totally the daddy's girl. So I can <laughs> completely identify with that. And it's not until later in life that I actually became really good friends now with my mom. But man, when I was a teenager, nothing doing. <laughs> daddy's girl all the way. Uh, but to be able to have that community, whether it's blood family or chosen family, but the people that you can breathe with, I love that definition because I think that that not only is it literally required for us to exist that we must breathe, but there's also such a freedom and a grace and acceptance in that that idea that, you know, you don't have to hold your breath. You don't have to, you know, wait on pins and needles or walk on eggshells or any of the other silly American colloquialisms that we have, <laughs> but just to like be all you. And I think that that is such a beautiful thing. And if nothing else, that's exactly what we want for everybody, <laughs> for everybody, regardless of what their religious experience or spiritual journey looks like right now, is to be able to have that idea of be you because that's who we all really want to know. 
Mm, I love that. Me too. Like this is just <laughs> like I have all the ooey gooeys. I love this stuff. <laughs> Anna Jane, thank you so much for your time and just for your presence being a part of this conversation with us on Recovering Church Girls. I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. And don't worry, you guys, we will find all the links of all the really cool projects that Anna Jane talked about, and we will put them in the show notes for you so you don't have to go hunting uh, because you've had so many fun things that you've been a part of. So thank you for sharing that with us. And we'll, we'll hook you guys up as much as we can. If you have anybody in your circle, uh, in your chosen family, that you think would really benefit from this conversation, we just ask that you would share it with them and uh, continue the love for Recovering Church Girls. So again, thank you so much. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.